listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Attracting and retaining salespeople and getting them to stay longer by demonstrating that you care. Empathy and leadership, especially sales leadership, and what it takes to create thriving, passionate sales teams, even in uncertain times. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions. Welcome to this episode of Mental Selling, and that's the focus of this episode today. Very pleased that our guest is uniquely qualified to discuss it. With us is Rhonda Robinson. Rhonda is the founder of Retain My Team, uh, a platform that retains, helps retain, engage, and optimize talent. And she's also uh, the head of the Robinson Alliance Group. Rhonda, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Will. Rhonda's firm, Retain My Team, is dedicated to helping people be their best at work. And I also have to catch myself and apologize. Did I just say uncertain times, Rhonda? That's the worst cliche. I think you did. <laughs> so let's uh, let's jump right in with something that, uh, that you've said, and that is that people don't s- say what they really want from employers. They just quit. And I think this certainly applies to people that are in sales positions. So let's talk about what sales leaders should know about what they can do to prevent this. And also, I think from the salesperson's perspective, helping them take responsibility for voicing things that could help them actually end up staying versus leaving. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. And it's through no fault of either the sales leader or the salesperson in particular. It's just our workplace culture has evolved to... Um, It's impolite to talk about things that you really care about and that you really want because it can be perceived as being needy or complaining. Mm -hmm. And so we maintain sort of superficial conversations about the business and about observable behaviors, not how people are feeling. In particular in the U.S., we don't talk about feelings at work. You're supposed to check your personal life at the door. And so one of the best things that sales leaders can do is create a safe space just to talk about how people are feeling moment to moment. And if you want to make it a little more neutral, you can even do it on a, on a scale. So I'd say, Will, on, you know, let's just take today as an example, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling about your job? Well, most people are going to err on the side of above five because they always want to say, yeah, I'm feeling good. Right. But if it's anything less than a nine or a 10, or you sense a hesitancy before they answer that question, it's an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper. You know, other questions like if you could change one thing, what would it be? You could have one thing in your in your workspace that would make it better, what would it be? So you can start to have those conversations. And I'm going to jump right in and recommend a book. It's by Kim Scott and it's Radical Candor. So Radical Candor is... I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, it's a great book to understand how to hit that sweet spot of being very transparent and clear without coming across being too hard or skirting the issue. So book recommendation right out of the gate. 
And like you said, when you ask that question of how you're feeling one to 10, most people that just the knee jerk is they don't want to say, even if, if it's honest, they're not going to say a four, right. Or a five, they're going to say what they think the person wants to hear, which is an eight, nine or 10. And it's that sale in this case, sales leaders responsibility to dig deeper and find out what's really going on and be, and be cued into what the employee may really be experiencing. If I can give some insight behind all of this. So retain my team is all based on behavioral neuroscience and the fundamentals are based on five universal triggers of people's behaviors based on their emotions. So there's either a threat response or a positive response. And what you just mentioned, uh, you know, if people say it's a four, even if they say it's a six, there's a sense that there's some sort of a threat in going on in their environment. How does that show up? And I think this is an important distinction. It goes back to the primitive mind. And if you feel some sort of a threat, it's potentially, you know, means that it could cost you your life. And so what does that look like? Well, when people are first feeling threatened, a light threat, if you will, Mm -hmm. they become freeze or appease. So yes, yes, yes. They are compliant. They just go along with anything. Then for freeze, they don't know what to do. But when you get down into the less than five and it's fours or ones, they're feeling a tremendous threat response and not feeling heard. That's when it is fight or flight. So those employees that are complaining all the time, that's a fight response. And if they quit, that's the flight response, right? Disengage and leave. So keep those things in mind as we talk through some of our other topics. No, that's a really good point. I, uh, I appreciate you explaining that. I wanted to jump into the issue of turnover, which is, you know, even before the, the great resignation and everything that we've all heard and, and read about that, turnover in sales has always been notoriously high. Why do you think that is from both the perspective of the salesperson as well as what companies should be doing to recruit and, and retain people differently? Mm-hmm. It's a big question with several layers, but I'll try to keep it simple. First and foremost is having the right talent optimization strategy. I'll give just a very simple explanation. There are some people who are wired to hunt. They're the ones that thrive in a startup environment, launching a new product, trying you know, a new, a new approach, and they love to get that instant gratification of you know, sales, 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 now, now, now. Mm-hmm. There are others that are more farmers and they're the ones that love the customer, building customer relationships over time. They're well-suited for having maybe an established product where they're trying to go wider and deeper in the market. It's a little more predictable, not only in what they do every day, but also predictable in how they see their business grow over time. Well, if you think about the life cycle of a product, it changes. You launch and you need the hunters, then it transitions and you need more farmers. But often you still have the same staff. So I've seen um, in my 20 plus years of talent development in sales and sales leadership roles, all of a sudden a high performer early in launch now isn't doing as well. And because it's a struggle for them to get out and and do sort of mundane, their perceived mundane things every day. 
So that's one layer of it. The other part is a phenomenon of how we have groomed sales leaders to think, and leaders in general, to think about their everyday business. So there's a, a three, three parts to this. Leaders are measured themselves on putting up the numbers, right? Business right. results. Yeah, that's always going to be number one. It's always number one. And they're motivated to do that because if they don't do that, they're going to miss their goals, which is going to reflect on their performance. Pillar number two is performance results. So they're always looking at the performance metrics of performance of themselves, performance of their salespeople. And why do we pay attention to that? Because now we're looking at risk of execution Mm -hmm. to meet those goals. The third pillar, though, the leading indicators in some cases. Yeah, right. The leading indicators. Correct. But the third part that we most often overlook, but employees are demanding right now is to pay attention to the people, their satisfaction, their needs at work. And so that comes along with talent development, you know, giving them a boost in their career goals, making sure that they feel safe psychologically safe, emotionally safe, physically safe. They feel seen, heard, appreciated. Yeah. That you're invested in their success. That you're invested in their success and you're invested in them as a person. Right. Um, We talked earlier about how our work culture expects people to check their personal life at the door as soon as they're on the clock, if you will, for work. Yeah. But that doesn't happen. And the pandemic has proved that. Like our personal lives are synonymous with our work lives. Our personal stuff keeps going on. We bring it to work. We just have been hiding it more so than than we probably would want to. So when we don't pay attention to the personal side of people, what they have going on in the inside, then you pay a people tax. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, the business that way, Yes, you can be putting up the numbers. You can be doing the right things from a performance standpoint. But if you're not paying attention to the people as a person, putting that humanity into the workplace, you pay a people tax. And that shows up in lack of engagement, less effort, less innovation, less creativity, less teamwork. You pay a tax. And so it is a business strategy to pay attention to the people side of the business because you reduce your people tax, which means you're going to increase your revenue and productivity. Right. And that's important for the even the salesperson to pay attention to, right? Not just the sales leader is that those, I like how you described the three pillars, you know, basically focusing on equally results, the metrics or the, you know, the leading indicators that are going to lead to the results but as well as the sort of the intangible people factor. Every, people have to take a responsibility for that themselves too and look at themselves and how they're approaching their job that way too, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, for quite a while now, we've been talking about self-care and how you've got to keep yourself physically and mentally fit in order to do your best. And salespeople in particular, it's a high energy requirement job, right? Yes. To get in front of customers and to... and the whole sales process is a high energy consumption position and optimizing your own self, taking care of your own personal side, you're having empathy for your own self Mm -hmm. and um, paying attention to that reduces your own people tax. 
and like you said, the the um, the lines being blurred between work and personal life probably as a salespeople have experienced that more so than most for their careers. But the the pandemic really just accelerated that so much more to where they're permanently just extremely blurred. It did, and you know this is also shows up in burnout, where. You know, when people are either expected or voluntarily put in a lot of work, extra hours and investment into work, uh, they don't have that life, work-life balance. And you start to see the people side being um, given less attention. And again, you start to pay the people tax. Yeah. I know. I, lo- I love that people tax phrase. That's really good. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about your experience because I know when I was talking to you Previously, you have, you've got a lot of experience in your career in the, the healthcare space, pharma, biotech, the medical device field, which that area has certainly seen more change and upheaval the past couple of years than most, right? And it may be on the horizon of seeing that much more. But so can you talk about the top values in that context of, of say, that industry that contribute to thriving, high-performance sales teams? I know there's some specific areas that you've um, talked and written about. Yeah, so the the top values are really top values of um, any leadership team, any um, healthy, thriving team. And it comes down to having trust, having transparent communications, having empathy toward each other, an orientation towards teamwork, integrity. It's all things about having healthy relationships. And that goes back to the people side of the business. And things like integrity, trust, empathy, how do you take those from concept where, you know, especially a sales leader, they may, he or she might have all the best intentions of the world of, of embodying and emulating those things and creating a culture of those things in their sales team. How do you take those things from concept and best of intention to actually make them tangible and real? You said a real pivotal word right there is intention. So people judge each other based on the other person's actions. We judge ourselves based on intentions. So you can ask yourself whether you are a leader or you're a salesperson, ask yourself, are my actions congruent with my intentions? So I intended to show my team extra love, but I haven't changed how often I check in with them. I haven't changed how I check in with them. Mm-hmm. I have good intentions, but it's not showing up. So how, how do they know that I care? Right. And that translates to step number one, is to show that you are aware and that you care. And a lot of people think, oh, God, this means I've got to start sending Hallmark cards and, you know, be all wishy-washy, mushy in how I interact with people. I'm not wired that way. But just simply asking a question, and it can be indirect. So it sounds like, seems like, sounds like, looks like, Mm -hmm. and you just put it out there. Will you and I work together and I'm, I'm the sales leader. And I just noticed that it's taking you a little bit longer than usual to return my calls. It's taking you a little bit longer than usual to send in your reports or to get your data input. 
And so I could just say, hey, Will, it seems like something's a little off with you lately. Right. Right. And let it rest. That just invites that, again, candid conversation to start to take place without being accusatory or making assumptions. You're just opening up the dialogue. So I showed you that I'm aware. Yeah. And by doing yeah. that, I show that I care. You're, That's draw- the first step. you're drawing somebody in versus cornering them, <laughs> if you will. Right. So going back to that threat reward response, if I instead said, hey, Will, you are not calling me back as quickly as I want and you're slow to get your stuff done, what's up? All of a sudden you'd be like, whoa, because you might not even notice it. If you are, something's going on with you and you're starting to sort of disengage or just your intention is some attention is someplace else, um, you may not even be aware of it. So just talking about the observation, hey, it seems like something's a little off. Yeah. Gives you time to reflect on it and then respond. So let's talk a little bit more more about this, the idea of, of empathy, because I know this is a big area of your focus and expertise. So there, there's empathy for customers as a salesperson. There's empathy in leadership. And that can be something that is viewed as, you know, the cliche, cliche sort of soft skill. Like, does it does it have tangible impact? How, how does that how does that end up affecting sales teams where empathy in leadership and empathy in the sales culture either does or doesn't exist? How does that how does, what does that look like? Sure. So let's start. Let's back up for just a moment and define empathy in a way that maybe some folks haven't thought about it before, because for many people. The word empathy, like you said, it's a little ethereal, intangible. And for some, it's so uncomfortable, they would rather wear wet socks. Right. (laughs) It's just doesn't come naturally to talk about or or to think about empathy that way. Too touchy-feely of a concept for some. Let's define empathy in this manner. Too touchy-feely. And in fact... 70% of leaders say that they struggle to demonstrate empathy in the workplace. And about the same number say that they fear showing empathy at work will make them less respected. So that's the strong orientation that's out there right now about empathy. So let's help redefine it and make it more tangible, make it more less scary that you don't have to sacrifice your time or authority to show empathy at work. So empathy is simply pausing, temporarily pausing your own opinion and agenda for just a moment to walk around the backside of someone else's chair, look over their shoulder at an issue or a situation and think about it from their point of view. Mm-hmm. What that does is it gives you additional information to make more informed decisions. Now that sounds like business, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it doesn't mean you have to concede your point of view. It doesn't mean you have to agree with the other person. It's a different way of getting additional information so that you can make more informed decisions. So for example, if you are a sales leader and you see someone struggling in their sales performance, And you take a moment and, again, walk around the backside of the chair and look at 
a specific issue from their point of view. Maybe they say, I'm having hard time with access to my customers. I have a tough zip code to get in to see my, my customers. And I'm not saying that all leaders do that, but they're like, oh, well, you're just not trying. There's always a way. Mm-hmm. But you listen and you think about what they're experiencing from their point of view. Now you have more information to try and co-solve together, right? That's your job as a leader is to help coach people through the obstacles and help them think of new ways and strategize about their territory. Right. You're, That's you're, a very, you're ultimately helping to create empowered problem solvers, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's the job of a sales leader and especially the, the coaching aspect versus constantly putting out fires and sort of stepping in and doing things for them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And imagine the experience for the salesperson for a manager who takes that approach, who says, okay, this person is aware that I have an issue, but they care enough to think about it from my point of view and to help me solve. That's a completely different scenario. I mean, a salesperson would run through walls for a leader like that because you're in it together. Right. As opposed to the other person who says, oh, well, you know, other team members aren't having issues or um, you've just got to figure out a way or just listing off, have you tried this, tried this, tried this? You think, um, okay, I'm just a puppet here. Mm-hmm. You're just pulling my strings to get me to meet your goals, not to help me meet mine. And it's also a skill and a skill and a mindset that the sales leader should hearken back to when they were a salesperson, right? Because they, as a good salesperson is doing the same thing of trying to put themselves in the customer's shoes. Yes. So they should remember that that was part of their job then and do, be doing the same thing. Because, you know, we say like when you're a sales leader, your, your sales team, those are your customers now, right? So it sounds like sort of using this, the same muscle memory. That's right. And to springboard off of kind of this thread that we're pulling here, if we can go back to the industrial age, um, our, our requirements of leaders has really evolved over time. Mm-hmm. And there was a point in time where, you know, we had to be efficient in our organizations. This was like in the 90s. And remember, all these organizations were collapsing their, right. their management. What that meant is that managers now became doers as well as leaders. And they were leading larger teams. So their bandwidth collapsed and they were doing as well as leading. So when you hire in new managers in this scenario, you are pulling from people who are doers, like promoting a good salesperson into a manager role Mm -hmm. because they'd already conquered the doer part, thinking it would be easier than to add on the people part. Yeah. Organizations, though, have not done a great job of equipping those folks before they're in that role to lead people. They promote them, and then they teach them how to do that. And that's a lot. You start a new job, you've got all these new pressures, these new expectations, and you're learning new skills at the same time. And, so, and, and sometimes companies aren't teaching those those, yeah. those leaders how to lead, right? They're just putting them in the role and saying, go do it. That's right. And that's really not fair for those leaders um, that are expected to do that. Now, let's take another scenario where you have a high IQ pool of good leaders 
who do a lot of the right things, there is research that shows that the number one skill that differentiates within a high IQ talent pool is empathy because they're getting more from their people who then in turn give more back to the business and the leader who then also give more to their customers. So it's a trickle down effect. So if anyone thinks that empathy is a nice to have skill, um, research will tell you. Absolutely. So as we sit here now and we're recording this, you know, we've talked about retention from the standpoint of the, the great resignation, but with economic headwinds being such as they are, picking up, we'll see where it goes, uh, and anxiety, anxiety such as they are at the moment, companies are, they, they need to strike that balance between aggressively bringing in new talent and retaining great talent, and in some cases, considering dialing back or or, or freezing hiring, in some cases, maybe um, facing the prospect of layoffs. In, in this environment where there's a lot of different things that are on the table, if you will, what is, what is really good talent acquisition and onboarding for salespeople and, and sales organizations look like, do you think? What, what, what's sort of the, the best in class? What are they doing? Yeah, so it really starts before the hire, as far back as making sure that you are optimizing the talent within your current environment especially if there are changes in the wings, whether you are adding because you're growing or if there are some restructuring, perhaps even um, downsizing that are taking place. I find when I work with clients that too often how they prune or how they decide to grow is more, again, on the business results frame of mind. They're not really looking at talent optimization What's the best fit, not just a line item of job skills, but the type of person that they need in this role? So do you need someone who's very creative and innovative and willing to take risks? Or do you need someone who is very methodical, kind of works at an even keel speed, likes attention to detail? Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that we're missing for starting. But then when you talk about the employee experience, especially for salespeople. And, you know, I'm still a salesperson at heart, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are impatient because we want to um, achieve. That's right. what we're wired for is, a, is achievement. And all the time that is spent doing all of these tasks for onboarding slows us down from getting to what we're here for is to sell and to achieve. So the best practice for onboarding is setting the clear expectations up front so that when they arrive for day one, um, they're already, their compass is pointing north. Mm-hmm. And all of the onboarding, often one of two things has happened, most often. No one owns onboarding, so it's piecemealed. In that scenario, um, while the tasks of getting someone onboarding might be completed, it gives the employee the salesperson, a sense of uncertainty. Like, does this company really have their act together? Did they even know I was starting today? Yeah. Do I, then they start to question, do I really have all the tools that I need? Because it doesn't seem well thought out. As opposed to a best practice is, you know what your onboarding looks like before you even start or on day one, what it's going to look like. 
And it doesn't necessarily have to be scheduled, but if the steps are outlined, then you know that you've completed them. Right. The other part is no onboarding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where maybe it's left to the manager to kind of figure it out and to pull all these things together. Well, that's not efficient for either one. So the best onboarding is you have those goals and expectations laid out. Everything is laid at your feet, easily accessible, easy to do. You have timelines that are adjusted, but also you weave in the people part. You want to feel connected to your organization. So meeting more than just your manager, understanding how the organization works, understanding how to get resources that you need, whether it's ordering sales materials, um, accessing the learning management system for your training, Meeting the trainer. Do you have a mentor? That's another best practice is having a mentor or a new hire buddy. Yeah, like a, like a peer mentor. That that I think we see that a lot. That's a critical part of salesperson success early on. Match him or her up with somebody who's experienced and can help sort of show them the ropes. That's also not their manager. That's right. And even especially because we're, we have a lot of salespeople who are seasoned and they're just changing companies, um, the rules of engagement. So some companies won't allow you to have customer interaction until you have maybe completed your PI, your package insert training or some other um, metric where you have to check that box for some sort of requirement. Others are like, no, no, you can go set up appointments. That's fine. You don't even have to know about our product yet. Um, so knowing what the rules are engagement, again, contributes to their certainty and and how they're supposed to show up at work. And it, and it helps their sense of confidence in the organization, which I think, you, you know, I, you were talking about this earlier. You've got to set the tone early on or from day one. Again, just like you would with a customer, right? In a sales conversation, those early impressions are going to remain and they're going to echo for much longer than you think. So you better have it right from day one. And I think, you know, the other part of of onboarding from my perspective is um, that onboarding shouldn't be some very finite thing. A lot of companies, I think, still look at sales onboarding as a Maybe it's a one week or a two week or or at best to like, oh, your first 90 days sort of thing. Onboarding doesn't stop after 90 days, right? That's And that's where coaching comes in and the ongoing peer mentoring. But the onboarding periods shouldn't just sort of like fall off a cliff after a certain amount of time, right? Absolutely. And a big piece of onboarding that's often overlooked is when people have a role change. If you've gone from a salesperson to a sales leader, you get the promotion and, you know, you're given a couple of tools and then like, okay, see you later. Instead of having an onboarding of how do you interact with HR? Um, how do you interact with your regional director? How do you interact with other parts of the organization? Um, what kind of access maybe do you have to marketing or focus groups? All right. these different things um, really help to get them grounded. Right, because in in that example, if you're going from salesperson to sales leader, you may have been with the organization for X number of years, but you're also taking on a completely different job. Yes. And a lot of companies, they either forget about it or they dismiss it and just think, well, I can change their title and they'll just be off and running. Yes, and I find that the more experience a person has, whether you're a new salesperson coming into the organization or you're transitioning from sales to sales leader, the more experience you have, 
the more often you're forgotten <laughs> in the process. Mm-hmm. There, there's an assumption that you already know things and we should never make those assumptions, but give people the same onboarding so that everyone has equal footing and equal opportunity. From your experience in, in industries like pharma and medical device and biotech, what what's essential for making learning and performance improvement training, all, all these things ultimately have success? What, what's, what are sort of the essential factors that employers have to consider? And, and that also the role of the, the salesperson or the employee that's coming into learning and training opportunities, what, what, what mindset and, and attitude do they need to bring? So we'll start with mindset. So when I run training classes, when I run leadership development courses, I always start with a picture of a fortune cookie that I actually got one time. I should have saved the actual fortune cookie paper. But it says, what is the difference between a genius and an idiot? And the answer is a genius will always find a way to learn from the idiot. And so I think that's a great way to um, kind of set your own mindset. Yeah. That no matter how much experience you have, no matter how much success that you have, you can never quit learning. And even if you're in the presence of people that are brand new to your industry or brand new to your company, sometimes we dismiss them and we should always think of them as learning from the idiot. And you should always volunteer to be the idiot. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> so if you, if you volunteer to be the idiot, say, okay, I'm going to ask this question so that others can learn from me, right? All the other geniuses in the room can learn from me as well. Right, because it should be a group learning and peer learning experience, right? So you're bringing that forward for the benefit of the entire group. That's right. It's kind of a a long analogy for keeping a growth mindset. That We should always be striving to learn. We should always be open to new opportunities and thinking about things differently. So that's the mindset part. The second part is um, goes back again to how the brain works, and it's about spacing. So when we're learning new things, the brain is starting to make new connections. And when you first learn something, it's a very um, thin and fragile connection that the brain is making between its neurons. Mm-hmm. But as you hear it and learn it again, that connection gets stronger and thicker, stronger and thicker. Yeah. The best way to do that is to have to recall information. So if you space out your learning, why do you think they do recaps at the beginning of your favorite Netflix show? Because you've got to remember what already happened in order to better absorb what's going to happen in the next episode. The same thing happens with learning is building those foundations and cementing those for knowledge. But the third and the most most important is application. Yes. Oh my goodness, that is so it's such a gap, in particular in our industry, but I see it in other industries as well. They give you information. You conceptualize how this will show up at work, but you don't actually have exercises to apply it or expectations that you will apply it afterwards. So the best learning, not only in the classroom or online learning, has you do application exercises, but it needs to be pulling in the manager, the sales leader, to see that that's being applied on the job and give coaching and feedback of how they're doing 
on the job. Yeah, Otherwise, just, why are we doing this? Right. Like just like we were talking earlier about onboarding being an ongoing thing, the idea of learning and training within right. sales organizations, it, it has to include that reinforcement, that practice, that repetition, the structured coaching, right? Yep. Where the, where and the, the feedback. And the feedback yep. to really make it stick because that, that behavior change, we talked a lot about behavior change, that doesn't happen for the most part in the classroom in the moment. Yeah, so then what happens is without that application piece, now the performance, right? You get six months down the road and the business results aren't following or your performance review, be observing those behaviors, isn't where the expectations were from the organization. So now you start seeing hands on the hips and eyebrows raised and mm -hmm. what's the first thing they do? Well, maybe we don't have good salespeople. Well, right. maybe we don't have the right managers. Um, well, maybe we need to take a step back and say, did we do the right things for giving them opportunities and expectations to apply what they learned? And how do we know? So going back to you know employee retention, you see salespeople, sales leaders be at the wrong end of a wrong interpretation of what's happening. And they know it's like, hey, you never told me that we were supposed to be doing this. Yeah, we did it at training, but I didn't know these were the expectations or um, you never told me the why about how this will help me in the business. And so I didn't really put my all into it. And yeah. now you're saying I'm on you, I'm not going to work for you. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel it's unfair if they feel like it's unfair. Right. Absolutely. The last thing we were going to talk about, and, and we talk a lot about on, on this podcast about the the steep transition and the steep learning curve that top performing salespeople have when they become sales leaders. And and I've really liked it how much we've talked about this concept of, of empathy in sales leadership. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on when it comes to empathy? Because you've I, I know that you've talked about it being the number one driver of performance. In, in the mm -hmm. number, the, the number one most important leadership skill a sales leader has to have. Is there anything else about that that, that listeners should know and, and keep in mind? It goes both ways. We talk a lot about leaders having empathy for their direct reports, but it can go the other way as well. And it can really open up a lot of doors. Let's say you are part of a sales team and you now have a new leader and they're new to their role. They've been promoted from sales to sales leadership. It's very natural for folks to be a little skeptical because they're not proven yet, right? right? And there might be people who are on the same trajectory and they're thinking in their mind, they're comparing. Well, I'd do that better. I would do it differently. But having empathy for that leader, again, setting aside temporarily your own agenda your own opinions and looking at what they're going through from their perspective opens up the door for you to be more informed. So instead of being disengaged at that sales meeting where you're like, well, I wouldn't run this session this way. Right. Instead you lean in and you can help support and guide it. Even if you wouldn't do the workshop that way, you can kind of throw the softballs in to help them be successful. Because yeah. guess what? That leader is going to invest in you for supporting them as much as you would 
do the opposite, right? You expect a leader to invest in you and you would run through walls for them. If you invest in the leader, they're going to run through walls for you as well. So it's reciprocal. Yeah. Well, this has been a really good discussion. I think a lot of our listeners, they're, they're, they're keenly interested, especially today in these concepts about retaining salespeople longer, developing sales cultures that are, that are based on things like um, empathetic leadership. And I think you've been able to bring some of these things that can be seen as very soft skills and conceptual and help really sort of crystallize them and, and make them tangible for people. So I want to thank uh, Rhonda. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you've, hope you've enjoyed being part of the Mental Selling Podcast. For our listeners, Rhonda has been a featured expert and speaker in, in national media outlets like NBC, CBS, Fox, USA Today, uh, Business Women Today, Global Woman Magazine, many more. Um, so if you want to connect with and, and learn more about what Rhonda has to say, you can find her website at retainmyteam.com. You'll also be able to connect with Rhonda on LinkedIn. Rhonda spells her first name with uh, without an H. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so on, on LinkedIn, Rhonda Robinson without an H. You'll also find her on Twitter at retainmyteam is her Twitter handle. And on Facebook at follow Rhonda Robinson and on Instagram. So a lot of different ways that you can learn more about some of the things that Rhonda has um, been so generous in offering time and, and insights today. So again, Rhonda, thank you so much for joining the Mental Selling Podcast. I know our listeners who are predominantly both salespeople and sales leaders are going to be able to take some really um, specific and practical tips from this. So thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. I had a blast, Will. You're a great and gracious host. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, if this is your first time listening to Mental Selling, please leave us a rating or a review. Uh, all of our other previous episodes are available on here on wherever you're listening, uh, whether it's through our website or any of the podcast apps where Mental Selling is available. So hope you'll listen to other episodes and subscribe so that you're made aware of uh, future episodes as they come up. So thanks everybody for joining us and have a wonderful day. At Integrity Solutions, we believe you need a different approach to sales and service to succeed in tomorrow's world. We know that sales performance isn't just about what you know, it's about who you are. We are performance experts who enable sales teams to build trusted customer relationships with integrity at their core. For over 50 years, Integrity Solutions has specialized in award-winning, innovative sales, service, and coaching training solutions that fuel performance, grow talent, lift up customers, and elevate leaders. Our solutions connect knowledge, skills, and values to help our clients embrace their roles with a greater sense of purpose and outperform year after year. No one is better at unleashing the mental side of selling. Learn more about our unique approach and the clients and industries we proudly serve at IntegritySolutions.com. You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. 
Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.